Team um, Aiden forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should have like, the fact that like none of us could like find a way to be attracted to Aiden is so dark. <laughs> Well, yeah. I I was fully attracted to him. I was like, he's amazing. He has a steady job. He's stripping <laughs> her floors. He's wearing like wide leg jeans. Like I was like, this is so cute. And like Carrie just, you know, shout on him. Shout on his heart. Carrie is yeah. toxic. Yeah, she's trash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even like later, you're just like, mm, you weren't even that good of a friend. We we all wanted to be you. I had yeah. to attack Carrie later. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been in Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys, you know that familiar voice. It's the voice of someone cute. I'm talking about my co-producer, me Etta, in the love of my stinking life, British bloody bake off. Hello. Hello, babes. How you doing? I'm good. It's freaking December. Oh my god, hasn't this year gone so quickly? Yes. Like I swear, I was one of those people at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. that was kind of a little bit excited to go into lockdown, where it's like, okay. <laughs> I, know, I know it sounds a bit weird, but just kind of like, oh, actually, if the whole kind of country's shutting down, we can just like lounge around a bit, and then right. obviously. The severity and like yeah. the weeks that went on, it's like, oh shit, actually, yeah. this is cray cray. Yeah, you were like, staycation and then, it's yeah, like, exactly. And now it's December and the world, like, the year's over. It's crazy. Yeah, it's done. Uh, oh. Okay. I'm sorry. Thank you for your apology. But you know what? I'm a human being. Facts. And I gotta say, I'm pretty excited about December because the birth month of my mom and me brother. Anyone else? Oh, yeah, you. <laughs> okay, so what was your favorite birthday, babe? Ever? Mm-hmm. Oh. And you're so, 19 years on Earth. Just kidding, he's <laughs> not 19. The thing, obviously a lot of my birthdays in my later life, I spent away working mm-hmm. so as a tour manager yes so can I, think, I say for which band it was sure so i spent a lot of time <laughs> away <laughs> and a lot of times it was on a show day mm-hmm. so it's like oh happy birthday okay we'll actually get back to the job at hand right right um it's tough when you're tour managing bjork it really is i did not tour manage bjork <laughs> <laughs> bone thugs and harmony no, well, that would have been a good one. Though. That would have been so fun. Just a, just a nerdy white guy with that. 
Um, so I'm, I don't even remember too much of my birthdays when I was younger either. Oh, is it because you don't take your ginkgo biloba to help with your memory? Yes, that's exactly why. <laughs> okay, so you don't have, there's not one birthday that has stuck out in your mind? Last year's, I think. Oh, that's cute. Where I was tricked into <gasps> going to Mumbai with Phoebe. Okay. She was like, I've planned this trip. You've never been to India. You and I are going to go for like a few, like a week, go to Mumbai. We'll have a great time. We'll go exploring, which actually turned out to be you two are finishing their tour in Mumbai. So we're going for your birthday, but actually we're really going to go see them in concert. Okay. So now you heard a pack of lies. (laughs) Now here is the truth. The truth is this, your honor. I had a very romantic birthday weekend planned for us in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. It was, we were going to stay at the Four Seasons Hotel. I was really going to do it up for you. I was going to book this helicopter ride so we could do a little tour of the city. Oh, I've been in a helicopter. Me neither. I've never been to heli either. We were going to do massages. Mm -hmm. We are going to do cute little dinners. And then what had happened is so when I went to Auckland, New Zealand to see you two perform and they were nice enough to put my picture in a slideshow about like incredible women throughout history. Just that's not important to the story, but I just want that (laughs) known that my face is on a giant screen in Auckland. Okay, so then we go to the after party and we're having a good time. It's me and some squirrel friends. And I was like, oh, this has been so great. And Bono's team was like, you should come to Mumbai. And I was like, no, no, it's Bake Off's birthday. We have a whole thing planned. They're like, no, no, they would love to have you there. You should come to Mumbai. And so I was like, oh, that's that feels like an honor mm. to know that they would love to have me there. So then I FaceTimed you. And said, here's the tea. Bono was like, oh, my God, I can't do this show without you. (laughs) You're fucking trifling. (laughs) You trifling, ho. And so I asked you, would it be cool if we, like, went to Mumbai? And what? I was going to say no. But I did change up your buff then. It was a great trip. We did have a good fun. We had so much fun. We, like... Stayed out late. The food, I think, was the highlight for me. The yeah, food the food was, was amazing. Incredible. After the first couple of days of like your body's going, wait, what the fuck are you putting oh, in me? Oh, yeah, I had diarrhea for 36 hours. Yeah. But then after that, everything like right. stuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to go back because we we only stayed there for four and a half days because yeah. then we had Christmas with your family, which was Oh, super yeah, then we fun. flew to the UK. That was a... That was a trip, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. We got some miles in on that one. Yeah, that we couldn't use this year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your favorite birthday is then? Yeah. Do you feel like part of the reason you blocked out your birthdays is that like people, because this happened with my mom, because my mom's birthday is on the 26th. Right. So people would be like, here's your presents, mm. a Christmas slash birthday present. Oh, yeah, present. I'd always get like birthday <sighs> slash Christmas's presents. That's yeah. trash. My mom even this year said to that I could get... Uh, my brother's son a birthday slash Christmas present. I was like, no, that's trash. Yeah, come on. We're gonna. He deserves two. Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay. Can one of my presents be to you that I shave my legs? Sure. I mean, you haven't done it all year, so. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. Guess what? We have merch, y'all. Merch, you say? Yes, boo. Where can I get this merch? phoebirobinson.com slash merch. Oh, and what sizes do you have? Uh, T-shirts and sweatshirts run from small to triple XL. Well, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a great commercial. I, me too. Yeah. Okay, so go to phoebirobinson.com slash merch. Get some cute clothes for the winter. Help support us. Keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. And then, as you guys know, we are an indie podcast, okay? Oh. Okay, so we like to support Black-owned businesses Mm -hmm. that, like, I love and adore. And I've been drinking out of this mug, if you're watching on YouTube. This is a cute little um, beaker mug that says melanin on it. I think you'll need to do what they do on all the makeup YouTube channels. There we go. Oh, maybe not. Yeah, I don't think that helped. No, I don't think it did at all. My bad. No. Did that help? No, that did help. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Look at my hands. Look at my love lines. Okay, anyway, I got this mug. Oh, my gosh. Maybe like, oh, my gosh, like over two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I love them so much. Um, So I just put like a little basil. Like I infuse a little drink in there. But it's a really cute mug for coffees and teas. I get cussed out for using it a lot. Because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I love this mug. And I'm like, where's your melanin? It's one of my favorite mugs for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's super cute. It's lightweight. It's You could wash it, hand wash it, or throw it in your dishwasher. So it's, it's held up to the dishwasher pretty well. It's been very, very, very strong. Um, it's, you know, it says 12 ounces here, but it's, you could probably go up to what 14 ounces if you're feeling randy. Sure, I mean, I don't think I'd be if I'm feeling randy, I'm not going to be filling up a mug. What are you going to be doing when you feel randy? I don't think it's that kind of podcast. Maybe it could be. Do you want to sh- share? No, no, I just want to move on. Ah! He's gonna be taking his dick out. Okay, so <laughs> you're so mad. At me. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, the melanin mug. Okay, it's so cute. They've been seen and get this Essence magazine, the Oscars, Black Women in Hollywood luncheon, wow. Trumpet Awards. So you can go to the melaninmug.com. You could go their Instagram. I mean, you guys should really sort of just like get on it because I know last holiday season they sold out for a bit. So like that's probably going to happen again this year. So Melanin Mug, honeys. That is T as in Tom, H as in Harry, E as in Earl, M as in Mary, E as in Eric, L as in Larry Mullen Jr., <laughs> drummer and founder of U2. <laughs> A as in Amber Ruffin, star of the Amber Ruffin show on Peacock. 
N as in Nancy Sinatra, a relative of Frank's. We're waiting. Okay. I as in Islamabad. N N as in Nancy Drew. Oh, yes. Nancy Drew. Hey, queen. Keep your nosy ass at home. Okay. (laughs) M as in Michael B. Jordan. He and I corresponded on Instagram for half a second. How did you feel about that, babe? I mean, he obviously felt threatened and (laughs) knew only to keep it to a couple of comments and then get the hell out of your DMs. So, feel pretty good. Yeah, I basically, I gently dragged him for his People magazine Sexiest Man Live yeah. cover because he was not shirtless. Right. And so then he wrote on, he commented on the post. And I was like, oh, oh. okay. And then you as in. <laughs> you as in, you seem you, to have lost the plot. No, you as in U-Turn movie, which starred um, Sean Penn and Jennifer Lopez. Right. And then G. Oh, there's more. G is the last letter. G as in. Um, God, can this be over? That. <laughs> the melanin mug on Instagram. T as a top. No, 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 no. We're definitely not doing that. So today's guest is pretty good, eh? Wow! Yes, okay, today's guest. I'm very excited about it because it's the end of the year. I think for a lot of people, it's been a contemplative year. Yes. I think for a lot of people, we're all sort of like learning things about ourselves that we want to work on, things that we like, oh, we should like dig into this deeper because this is a great thing about Mm -hmm. me that I'm learning through all this strife. And during... COVID, I've been like pretty sort of, they've been pretty vocal about the fact that I've been reading so many books. And I really love this poet, author, activist. I read both her books. First one, Heart Talk and um, Where to Begin. And she now has a journal out mm. called Heart Talk, which is, you know, a 52 week long journal. Um, and I just felt like she's just been so inspiring and wonderful and I really appreciate her word and her work. And so I wanted to have her on to sort of kick off the last month of, I was going to say a bake off of Black Frasier for the year. (laughs) Um, and we talk about, you know, just like self care, how we can heal ourselves. Um, the journey that she's been on writing, giving Mm. out advice I think it's a very sort of like wonderful, cozy, lovely conversation. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, Bake Off, do you want to tee it up? Here is Phoebe's conversation with Cleo Wade. That was cute. This is going to be so fun. When I um, mentioned that you were doing it, I got so many questions and people are really sort of like, Need the positivity. I mean, I think we all, a lot of us felt it after Biden won, but, you know, there's always 
there's still the pandemic. There's still all the, you know, racism, all the things that are sort of like holding people down. And I love your books. Um, and it was so great to read both of them during quarantine because it really helped me sort of like center myself a little bit and sort of like get myself out of my head a touch, which was nice. Um, so I just think your work is so amazing, so special. So I'm so glad that we can do this episode today. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. <laughs> I'm such a fan. And, um, you know, I haven't, I think maybe this is my first podcast during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really, I'm just really excited. And, um, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, I, I do think it definitely has been so strange. Um, you know, the Joe Biden, even the Joe Biden win feels weird because, you know, like it's a, it's a symbol, not a problem, like a solution mm-hmm. to a problem, you know, it's the solution to like a bad symbol and the symbols are important. And it's like, yeah, it's also been really interesting because I feel that the people who are obsessed with removing Trump as the symbol or who mm-hmm. felt like I just have like all of my relief was wrapped up in that. I'm like, I always, I find that that's like ends up being people who like live who live the most in like a certain bubble mm-hmm. because like you know if it is about the characters and not about the people um that it's not really about the problems right yeah. Yeah. and so it's it's been really interesting to just see even people in my own life where I'm like yeah just because I just can't have my kids growing up like knowing that that's a president and I'm like valid and yes but I yeah. and I keep waiting for the and to that sentence yeah <laughs> um I hope be, also because you're hoping that they you know want to also continue the work um yeah beyond the symbols and you're kind of like yeah and what else <laughs> yeah I know I think like people just sort of they think about what immediately sort of directly affects them. And then they're like, if they have time, then they can sort of focus on something else. And I'm just sort of like this country and the world is, there are a lot of things that are immediate outside of just our personal lives. So like prayers up, fingers crossed that, you know, we all keep like putting the work that we have been doing and even doing more, I think is also kind of pretty key. At this I point. think we will. I think that there's there's a culture of the work that's been created, not, you know, and, and I think that because of that, um, you know, we, it will, um, persist, you know, mm-hmm, I think that mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. It's like either whether you're a musician or an actor or whatever it is, and it, it, you always are hoping that you poke through the culture and you kind of become a part of the culture. And that's how you kind of go, you know, uh, or become, become the culture. I mean, listen, yeah. like we've been listening to Drake songs for like 15 years now, like, <laughs> but it's a, cause it's a culture. It's not even just yeah. a, you know, it's, it's not a performer. And so I do think that not to <laughs> compare this social movement to Drake, <laughs> but I do think that the culture of caring and active citizenship, I, I think it is a culture. I don't think that it, it is, um, you know, I don't think that you get that many people on the streets consistently over a four year mm-hmm. period um, with it being like a moment and not a movement and yeah, and, and a culture. So. Yeah. Well, I we should pause for a second because I didn't even like do like my introduction for the po- like we just like dro- dove like right okay, in. Okay. So hi, Cleo. Hi. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, OK, so I'm obsessed and I want to like know like everything about you, like sort of like your origin story of how you became sort of this person that, you know, myself and lots of people, we look towards your writing, towards your wisdom and your 
your words of encouragement to help sort of guide us not only through like tough times in life, but just our lives in general. So like, I would love to hear like how you became who you are today. Well, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think it's not till my own therapy as an adult where you, Mm -hmm. um, I remember one day I was having a bad day in therapy and I was like, I was like, you know, I'm just going through a really hard time. I'm going through it. Or I just had a really hard day. And my therapist goes, you've had a really hard life. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking that I never thought that because when it's always been kind of something, you know, when you've had to learn to cope really early. And for me, I really had to learn how to console myself really early because I grew up in a divorced household and from whether it was because of our class, you know, I didn't grow up with a family that had money or, and, and my race, my dad's black is like, we, you know, there's not a, there's not a culture of, um, there's a cult, there's not a culture of tools, um, whether it's emotional or mental tools that help Mm -hmm. us with our problems. There's a culture of numbing avoidance that quote unquote helps us with our problems, but really obviously doesn't. And and it actually just allows for us to, um, make our problems and, or, you know, personal pains and struggles and unhealed things, something our children inherit. And Mm -hmm. so for me, when I was growing up, you know, I, you know, my mom will be the first one to say, she'd be like, you know, Cleo just really raised herself, but it was because, you know, my parents had so much unhealed and hard things um, in themselves, whether it was their own marriage, my mom is white and, and their, you know, I'm pretty sure that my mom's uh, dad didn't even go to their wedding um, because mm. it was an interracial marriage. And uh, growing up, people always think that New Orleans is just this amazingly, you know, open, tolerant, um, embracing every stripe of life person because it is for the most part, but it is in the dead center of Louisiana. Um, and every suburb around it is deeply racist. And every person that I went to, um, high school with was deeply racist. And when I was growing up, um, my grammar school was like kind of more localized to like New Orleans, really really quirky New Orleans families. Mm -hmm. So I think I had this like kind of faux sense of what the world would be because literally like, I don't think there was a predominant race in the school at all. And it's mm. probably the only time in my life where there wasn't. And it was kind of this hippie school where you would like <laughs> could do modern dance instead of, um, instead of PE. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that that, you know, the mix of that and having a two parents who my dad's an artist and he takes these amazing, he took all of these amazing photographs in the sixties and seventies of um, like Miles Davis and Aretha Franklin and all wow. of these kind of legend and Nina Simone and um, Red Fox and all of these really legendary kind of black iconic figures. Uh, and he saw, he, he sold them out of our living room throughout my whole childhood. And, um, and it was so funny because we always had like these random like tourists, like I'd come home <laughs> and I'd be like, hi. <laughs> um, and my mom is a chef. And so she would cook out of our kitchen. And so mm-hmm. it's really funny because even now I always have to have like a writing room or a thing I do that's in my house. Like I like, mm-hmm. you know, but it's because my parents always worked out of, out of the house and, and did their craft out of the house. My mom would make lunches on her, our counter and then take them door to door places and sell them. Uh, and so, you know, I think that kind of growing up and and they're, they're also very free spirit people too. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, they are like, 
like my mom, I remember every day not realizing it till I was older that I was like, oh my gosh, like my mom like went out every Thursday. Like, and then I remember when I was old enough to like sneak into the same bar and I didn't see her there because she'd stopped going by then. But my mom would go to a <laughs> bar called the Funky Butt Bar every Thursday. And I always wonder, I was like, God, my mom is so tired on Fridays. And I was like, oh my God, my mom is like hungover from partying on Fridays. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're like really New orleans Like New yeah. Orleans really attracts people who, you know, my parents have never wanted really big careers. They've always wanted mm-hmm. to like work enough to be able to be at Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest. And like, as long as we could afford our Jazz Fest tickets, like through the discount we got for my school, then like that was enough. And um And so because of that, I think that, you know, that and the spirit of New Orleans also raising me, I think I always grew up knowing that joy was deserved no matter Mm. where, who you were or how much you had or how much you didn't have. Um, And I think for me, whenever I did go through hard times, like moving through the intense racism of my surroundings or the, you know, emotional unavailability of my parents, Mm-hmm. I think really early on, I, I understood that I was like, you know, I don't think anyone really can get you through something that feels uncomfortable or sad, but yourself. Mm-hmm. As an adult, I realized that you can count on friends and you can count on therapy and you can count on self-help books and other tools. But I think then I really kind of, I knew that all I had was whatever kind of that inner wisdom that I think all children have that you can say like, okay, I can I can find my own um, kind of happy place. You know, I can sit there and be like, you know what, like, this is hard, but I'm sure that da 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 and I'm sure that you can get through it like in this kind of way. And and there's not all people get to have blah, blah, blah. And I think yeah. that when I was able to do that, I was like, okay, I think it really built this um, foundation in me that made me, you know, not immediately a poet, self-help writer or anything like that. But it made me the person that was the first person my girlfriends came to if there was a problem, or it made me the person who, you know, had friends that were maybe 10 years older than me or 15 years older than me. And, 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 or I remember, you know, I remember sitting at the table with my mom's friends going through a divorce and being 11 and talking through it with them. And, and I think Wait, that, you were just like chiming in as they were talking yeah, about divorce. Yeah, I was divorce. just sitting there and I was like, I mean, I remember my friend, I, I said, my friend Talia Turnover, wherever she is right now, well, I know where she is, I think she's in Utah or something, but her mom, <laughs> Natalie, Miss Nat, who is my, I loved her and she will tell you that she went through a breakup and I was there for her like a girlfriend and I was like 11 or 12 and <laughs> I was, you know, and, Granted, I mean, I was probably imitating friends characters or girlfriends mm-hmm. characters or living single characters or sex in the city characters. Um, and I feel actually grateful. Don't you sometimes you think about how cool it is that our generation grew up on so much programming around female mm-hmm. friendship? Yeah. You know, it's like it's really fascinating because when I think about that, like, you know, my mom didn't. And I always think mm-hmm. I was like, gosh, you know, how how different would your life have been if like everything was about you know, what you make of yourself and then that kind of uh, family that you can like build to support the things you want to do and, and the finding the healthiest relationship possible, even though big was mad toxic, but um, (laughs) team Aiden forever. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We should have like the fact that like none of us could like find a way to be attracted to Aiden is so dark. 
<laughs> well, yeah. I I was fully attracted to him. I was like, he's amazing. He has a steady mm-hmm. job. He's stripping <laughs> her floors. He's wearing like wide leg jeans. Like I was like, this is so cute. And like Carrie just, you know, shat on him. Shot on his heart. Carrie yeah. toxic. Yeah, she's trash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even like later, you're just kind of like, mm, you weren't even that good of a friend. We we all wanted to be you. I had yeah. to unpack Harriet later. <laughs> um, so, like, your parents are, you were saying, you describe them as, like, free spirits and really just sort of, they're so artistic and creative. And so I'm curious as to, like, looking back on who you are now, like, what do you think are some of, like, the greatest gifts they gave you that shaped the person that you've become? I think the greatest gift, you know, my parents have such a centric personality. And I think that they taught me a very, and because they had that and weren't changing that for their children or anyone, I think I learned really early on to like, just let people be themselves. And in that later that evolved to allow people to go through what they go through without judging it. And I think that when you can be a witness for someone rather than a judge, uh, it provides such a loving healing space for them. And so I think that, you know, definitely having these kind of Really, I mean, my dad is like one of the most eccentric people you'll ever meet. Um, and my mom is like, we have to like pull her down from trying to dance on the kitchen counter table in her 50s <laughs> and 60s. And so it's, um, you know, there, I think that having those parents where you're like, you know, there was no option to be like, oh my God, mom, like just be quiet and get in the car. And she's like, I'm mm-hmm. not getting in the car and being quiet. Like the band's on, you know, like that's not. There was no controlling them in that in that kind of I'm embarrassed as a teenager way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that allowed me, you know, while it was hard for me as a kid, but I think that later I was like, you know, it, that was a real, really divine lessons because everyone deserves to just be who the hell they are. Yeah. And, you know, while we want to be as um, considerate of others as possible and, and no one should be centered by being who they are. Um, we should still allow for people to be who they are and find ways to have community in that. And we shouldn't be looking for ways to have community by saying that, like, you can't be at all who you are if you want to be in community with me, because that's not giving flexibility of spirit on your end. And so I think that, and and I think also because of that, I wasn't afraid of alternative paths. You know, I moved to New York when I was 17 and I, you know, I didn't think I, I went to, um, you know, I had an internship and, Mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, I did something that none of my girlfriends were doing at the time. And I was definitely scared, but I also thought, you know, like my, like I've seen so nothing but examples in my life of going against Mm -hmm. the grain or not doing what everyone else was doing. And, and while I didn't know, you know, even in that moment, I knew that I always secretly wanted to write, but it was a secret I kept for myself as well. So mm. I don't think that it was tormenting me when I was, you know, 17, 18, 19 in New York. Um, uh, but I mean, I went to poetry summer camp when I was really small. And so I think that I always knew that that was a way like to express myself and my, oops, sorry, myself and um, my stories and and what I was feeling. But, you know, also like, especially, I mean, especially then you're also like, whether or not you go to college, you still do want to have those kind of college years where you're like, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I just wanted to find a job and make money and really experience things because, you know, I never thought I'd get to New York and I never thought I'd get to France the first time I went to France or the, you know, Japan, the first time I went to Japan. And so a lot of it too was, you know, those kind of foundational years of really investing myself in 
living and experiencing um, what I, what was available, um, what I, or what I, whatever I could get my hands on. And whether that was personality types or bad boyfriends or whatever it might've been. Um, But I think that my parents being, you know, my dad being such an artist and my mom being such a kind of, um, you know, my mom is really like, she's like, I don't get it, but in a non-judgmental way, you know? So mm. she's just like, I don't, that's crazy. Like, I just like, I cook and I sell the lunches and I like go to Mardi Gras. Like yeah. <laughs> I wanted my mom's in a disco dance troupe called the Disco Amigos, um, which is probably like, honestly, the whole thing's probably really problematic. Um, but the, like, but the, um, yeah, that, it's definitely pop- problematic actually. Um, but the, you're like yeah. realizing that like right now you're like, should I text her? Let her know. <laughs> oh, I'll try to text let her know. but you like <laughs> people in New Orleans just like live on their own whole other planet. It's like, you just are like, okay, y'all do y'all like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so they might, you know, I think that knowing that there wasn't judgment or a lot of fear being instilled in my path. I mean, I had the fear in the sense of like, you know, there was no, so there was no safety net in my family. Like I'm the safety net for every member of my family, you know, and I have been since I got a job, um, when I was 18, I mean, I started working, you know, in retail shops in new Orleans when I was 12, but like, you know, so I've always been the, like, I've given my babysitting money to my parents or like, You know, so I've, I've always been kind of someone who chipped into my family and and now is like the safety net for my family. But do you um, feel any sort of pressure with being the safety net for your family? Or are you sort of kind of like, okay, I'm going to step into this moment and that's and, and rock with it. Or are you sort of like, oh gosh, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You know, I think first, if I'm being totally honest, you work through the resentment, right? Because you're mm-hmm. like, you hope that like as a pa- as parent, your parents, or you see it in so many examples where parents like, you know, a lot are the, you know, stepping stool that help support you to your next thing. Um, not the thing where you're like, I mean, I think I probably would have, you know, maybe, maybe I guess it's kind of a could have, would have, should have thing, but I wonder sometimes if I probably would have, you know, tried to kind of step out on my own to write earlier um, if I hadn't have had to always calculate, you know, well, what if this bottom drops out here? And, Mm -hmm. you know, like I really had to make sure that I was as financially stable as possible throughout my entire journey. Um, And so I, I think first you're kind of like, gosh, I wish that like my, you know, I was a thing my parents worried about instead of my parents worrying about me, or you see all your other friends where you're like, that you see them being able to take these really cool risks really mm-hmm. like a lot earlier than you, because at the end of the day, if they had to go move into their parents' house or, you know, whatever it may be that they, however they support them, they could, or their parents need to pay their rent or whatever. Um, and so I think once you work through that, then you're kind of, and you like, just like realize that that's just not your destiny and that's not your story. And you're kind of like, Oh, okay. Like that's not my reality. And one of my biggest kind of mental tricks, I guess, is like, I do not spend time in any other reality, but my current, my actual one. So Mm -hmm. like, even one of the things I kept saying to people during this pandemic is that I was like, stop thinking about life before or life after. I was like, if you are just here now and out of this state of comparison with like something that just does not even exist on one spectrum or the other, you know, like what your life was like this time last year just does not exist. It's not a real place. 
Um, and even however you're remembering it is some like hyped up, like majestic <laughs> version of it. Just get yeah. out of there. You know, if you are here and saying, okay, what, what is there to do today? You know, where, where can I grow today? Where can I lend myself today to myself, the people around me? Where can I find um, a way to give myself things I haven't, you know, maybe had the time or space to before? What are my challenges that I have to look at today? But I think if you're always looking at it in comparison to like, whether it's like, I can't believe this time last year I had this job and like now I have this job and it's, I have to do this and I feel this way. And it was like, yeah. okay, we should just assess exactly where we are right now. And it mm -hmm. just does help, you know? And, and I think that, you know, not arguing with like non-realities is one of the most helpful things you can do with your entire life. And so I think that for me, and there's a certain sense of just kind of surrender and peace to that, you know? So for me, I think that whether it was with my being the safety net of my family or, you know, being the one that's everyone's first call or whatever, I think that it's more like, okay, you know, that is what it is. And every time I'm somewhere else comparing it to like a fake, non-real thing, it's annoying. But if I'm just in it and assessing what's happening today, I actually feel really peaceful and calm about it. And I'm grateful that um, even if I couldn't have something, someone in my family could, even if I didn't have that person I could call like that or could feel that way about, um, I'm really grateful. I, you know, that I can be that to my parents. Yeah. And I, that, that was a lovely answer by the way. And you brought up so many things that I want to touch on. So I think one of the things that a lot of people listening to this are, might be struggling with in terms of this pandemic is like what you were saying about like comparing what your life was before the, the, you know, COVID to now. And you know, I find myself doing that too, where it's like, well, you know, last year I was doing this or I had all these plans for this. And I think it's maybe perhaps one of the reasons why myself and other people struggles, because it's sort of like, I guess, surrendering to like what the reality is means you have to be honest with yourself that you can't actually control your life. And that's a yeah. scary sort of realization to get to. And so I guess my question is, is like, how can people like myself sort of let go, accept that we cannot control a lot, a lot of what goes on in our lives and, and not be sort of paralyzed or be frustrated or get depressed by it? Because it, that's a really hard, evolved, sort of elevated thing to do, I, I, I feel like. Yeah. So before this pandemic, mm -hmm. you thought you could control everything? I didn't think I could control everything. My boyfriend is smiling, uh, but I, he's like, that bitch did. Uh, no, but I, I'm very type A and I, I have like my to-do list and my plans and I like, I like to map out everything and sort of feel like, okay, I'm going to do this and that's going to really to lead to this result. And so I think there are a lot of people who are listening to this who are also like that. And so then when the pandemic happened, I was just sort of like, what the hell is going on? This is this is like the most out of control I feel like I've been in my entire life, you know? So you can still be type A during the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of people think that the pandemic um, is something that had to completely flip their entire way of being in their head. All those mm. ways that you want to make your, you could, your to-do list can exist in the pandemic. You know, but I think that we have to understand that, like, whether you're type, you know, you don't have to not be type A anymore and not that yeah. you could, 
probably, you know? <laughs> and so I say that as a fellow type A person. And so yeah. I think that, you know, I think that it's more about saying to yourself, where do I want to apply who I am and how I approach life? Um, where do I want to apply that at a moment in time where, you know, there are certain things that couldn't possibly be on this to-do list, but there's a zillion trillion things that could, you know, whether it's like, you know, the new things on my to-do list are like getting to know myself, Mm. you know, maybe the thing on your to-do list is to say like, you know, if I have this added time to myself, um, you know, what is like, what am I really into? And like when everything, the, everything is stripped of the world and, and, and I can't distra- go from one distraction to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, and I am not the things I do. And I think that mm-hmm. those, those are the, a lot of the like harsh realities we moved through, which was like, like, do I like these people or did we just do stuff together? Do mm-hmm. I like these things or were they just like jammed on my schedule? So like I constantly did them anyway, you know? And so I do think that during this time is such a critical time to say like, wow, you know, who do I really like spending my time with? Um, what rituals really prop up like the best of my mental and emotional space? Um, I think that this has never been a better time to apply your type A to do, um, you know, there's, and by the way, even if you're looking to control stuff, there's all kinds of stuff around your house you can control, you know? And so, I do think that we, you know, it's not about having to change who you are and how you approach life if that works for you, but it's doing it in flow with the universe, right? It's doing it in Mm. flow with like the bigger picture. And there's the small things that you can move around. And then there's the big things that you do have to accept that I can be myself, but I'm kind of part of a big wave, um, you know, and I, and, and I can kind of, you know, know what's kind of my little corner of this, but I do think that we do start to flirt a little bit with like the ego thing of like, mm-hmm. I think I, I, cause you know, there's a difference between I, you know, like to have my to-do list and get things done. And I, then I like to, you know, understand like, you know, you know, what, what fruits I yield from my work or what I do or how I like when I invest attention or time or energy or money in this way, like what that return looks like. You know, there's a difference between that and the world should work the way I would like it to work and is, and is convenient for me and is, and, and makes me feel uh, anxiety free at all times. Like, I would say that that kind of flirts with the ego, right? Like, I think that that is kind of like the world should just be the way you want it to be. Like, who says that? You know, you can say like your house can be the way you want it to be. Like the books might be a certain way. But like the world should be exactly the way that makes you feel comfortable in this exact moment. Like that feels like a stretch because like even like when you think about how small we are in like the giant universe of all the planets and like how small even Earth is, you're like, hold on. So I'm actually like the way that this Earth revolves is supposed to do with like what I'm comfortable with. (laughs) You know, that's where we're a little bit like, okay, let me reel that thinking in. And so I do think that during this time, it's more like it's such an amazing time to personally investigate. Um, it's such an amazing time to be proud of, understand, and have a deep relationship with resiliency. You know, I know that there's a lot of people who may have had one type of job last year and have a job that they don't want now, whether, you know, it's Postmates or, you know, 
Uber Eats or whatever it may be. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's looking at into yourself and being like, I can handle this. And like, I can handle things that aren't my ideal. Mm -hmm. And I think that to find strength and, and your own kind of power in coping, moving through, um, finding joy despite, uh, uh, is one of the things that I think when this era has, you know, we have moved through this era, which we will, um, you're, we're all going to be so much better off knowing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is a perfect segue into talking about your two books, Heart Talk and Where to Begin. And you now also have this journal out for Heart Talk, which is supposed to be a 52 week sort of journey where every week you're working on yourself and journaling and writing. And so I want to know, like, what made you go from like having these realizations with yourself and sort of kind of like evolving as a person to being like, I'm going to put this down because I think these words will help others the way that they helped me. You know, it's really funny because I was the last person of all of my friends to get on Instagram. Mm. And I just remember thinking like I'd been doing some writing and I'd been, um, you know, always sharing it with just my close circle of friends. And then I, I started sharing it like more outwardly. Like I think I started mm-hmm. doing a couple, maybe one or two readings, but only maybe one or two. I had like hand sewn a little book that I sold, that I sold to like a hundred friends one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept it really um, small. And then I realized one day I was like, you know, I, I do just think that maybe this could help other people. And it still took me, you know, even in, in live time, I had to like become more comfortable with my own voice. So like, I remember that, like when I first started putting things online, um, some of it sounded like really lighthearted. I was like, yo, you know, like, da, 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 da. And it was like this kind of character around it because I was just really insecure about like, you know, kind of like, can I, should I be giving advice to people? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that my biggest revelation personally was like, I asked myself one day, what was the thing I thought I was the best at in the whole world? And it was being a friend to other people. Mm. And I was like, I am a really good friend. I was like, I think that especially if like you're going through a hard time or if you, you know, like it, like I, if that, that friend who sits at the kitchen table with you or on the couch with you, like I'm, I am that, but that is where I think I shine in life. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, how can I be that to everyone I meet, you know, and, and how can I, um, and, and even in having that revelation, it just changed the way I treated everyone, you know, whether that was, I mean, I was always a person who was like nice to the taxi driver or, you know, the doorman in New York or wherever, you know, I wasn't like a psycho, but mm-hmm. I was more, you know, I realized that I didn't know the state of anyone's life or how anyone's day was going. And, and I definitely opened myself up to it. And I think also because I'd gone through my own spiritual journey by that point of like, really reading and looking into, you know, self-help books and Mm -hmm. spirituality and, um, you know, being on my own kind of super soul journey in that way. It's like, I actually had the capacity for the first time in my life. So I was kind of earlier in my early twenties. Like, I think you'd meet people with it be like, she was cold or like, she didn't really look at me, but it was actually because like, I didn't have it, you know, like I actually Mm -hmm. didn't know how to survive in environments by being like the warmest person in the room. I I learned how to survive or mentors I had were like, no, listen, like you stick to your own and like, you know, it's, 
it's not about being liked, it's about being like, whether it's intimidating or like respect means that like you're unapproachable, you know, yeah. not like warm and approachable, which is also like, even though a lot of my early mentors in the business world were women, they were really women who were like trying to out patriarchy the patriarchy, yeah. you know? And so yeah. it was really that. And then I remember like kind of, you know, being like, this just doesn't feel good. Like this does not feel right. And I like, I realized that I was like, I don't have the, you know, that, that, that like love for myself has yet to be cultivated. So like, I had no idea how to give that to, to another person. And, you know, and, and, and even before, you know, being in work environments in New York, I think I'd felt that in high school, you know, like I was the only black girl in every room. So, you know, you were not vulnerability was not something you were trying to like offer up or have on your sleeve, um, in Louisiana as the only black girl in the space, you know? Um, and so I think that I cult, you know, after a journey of cultivating those things and then asking myself, you know, you know, I, I, do you have that kind of vulnerability and like love within you? Yes. Are you so good at giving it to your friends? Yes. Could you offer it to others? Yes. And so I did. And then that kind of then, you know, I wouldn't say that that the idea, I I started working on heart talk before I think I got on Instagram, but I remembered saying to people, I really just want to write a book because I felt that there wasn't, you know, this realm of like, you know, when I was first writing poetry, you know, it was, it was maybe even before Rupi, who's like one of my really close girlfriends. And maybe it was just her, maybe it was just the two of us. And we weren't friends then. Um, and we're, we're very close now, but we, um, or we just didn't know each other then, but you know, there were no examples of like being able to make it in poetry or like, you know, in, in, in 2014, like that was not a career that anyone said you could have at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but the other thing that I noticed was there were not self-help books for what I felt was like the exact kind of spiritual place where most people were, which was that like, it has become really hard and it's not just a millennial thing. It's not an, you know, young person thing. It had become hard for everyone I knew to read a book front to back Mm. true. And, and, and one that was more kind of rooted in, um, giving to the self, whether that's Mm. because we had self worth issues that were like, oh, I've got a million other things I should do and not read this book that like somehow like feeds into or like helps me love me. And so I remember one day I was at a dinner and I said, um, I asked like a group of, it was like a big mix of people, maybe like 15 people. And I was like, how many of you, um, when you were reading a book, um, like don't you have your phone with you at all? And like, no one raised their hand. And I was like, I was like, how many of you, as you are reading the book, like if you, if you think of your friend, you take a photo of it and disrupt your reading to send them that as you go and everyone raised their hand. And I realized that I was like, you know, the really light kind of um, easy reading self-help books do exist. Like four agreements is something that, you know, you, it, it is not stressful to read the most amazing books on vulnerability by Brené Brown, which are, mm-hmm. you know, not harder to read necessarily, but they're more of a commitment. Yeah. Um, those exist. And um, the power of now exists in all of these books Oprah told us about exists. So, <laughs> but what I didn't feel was that the book that was like, you could pick it up at any page. It's completely non-committal and it's always here for you. It's like that friend that's not annoying. Mm-hmm. Like they're never going to come to you and be like, why didn't you call? Because that's what it feels like when you have like, you know, three fourths of your book left yeah. and you haven't picked <laughs> it up in like two weeks. 
and you're just, they're just sitting there being like, oh, now she's calling me, you know, like <laughs> feel that. And so I wanted to create a kind of reading experience um, that was like, you know what, like wherever you're at is okay. If you want to read this front to back today, you can, if you want to pick it up whenever you want, you can, um, you know, it's, it's, there's a slight theme that goes through it in the sense of like, it doesn't feel completely random the book. Yeah. Um, so depending on what you are going through it, you, there's a certain flow if you are reading it front to back, but like, I don't care, you know, like you could just only read the last page of the whole book. And like, that's enough because if that's all you needed, that's okay. And so for me, it was really important to just kind of create this genre that was like, yes, there'll be like a poem in it. And then there'll be this kind of handwritten note in it. And then there'll be Mm -hmm. this kind of blurb about your like emotional state in it. And, um, whatever your style of like how you need to get the tool is available in some way in, in the book. Yeah. And I also like on um, where to begin where you have pages where you can just sort of color for a little bit, mm-hmm. which is just so relaxed. And I used to like draw and color a lot in like middle school and high school. And then I just completely stopped. And so it was nice to sort of just kind of like revisit that sort of just doing this activity that's just you and the page. And like you say, like I wasn't picking up my phone to be like, hey, let me take a picture. Like I was just like fully invested in my book and what I'm doing. Um, And so I'm wondering if that was sort of like the intention behind having those breaks where you could sort of like just be at one and just color and be peaceful. Yeah, you know, I found that I'd been doing a lot more. I don't don't do coloring meditation as much as I do watercolor as a meditation, Mm. but I'd found that so many of my friends had started doing that or were into that. And so for me... um, when I was doing where to begin, I was like, cause where to begin is such a kind of a capsule book. It's mm-hmm. not quite like hard talk, you know, heart talk took me a few years to write and it's, you know, a much broader book. Whereas like where to begin was really, it's like a centrally focused kind of idea of, you know, um, it was like the place where I wanted to put my Ted talk. And it's actually the entire book is supposed to feel like a meditation. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like there's one poem that's just like spread out to be like 90 pages, but there's like 10 words on each page. Um, so that the book feels like light and easy and you can flip through it. And like also the amount of people who will write me being like, I finished this book in one day. And there's such pride in, in that because sometimes also you need that bridge book that even gets you back into reading, yeah. uh, where you're like, Oh my God, I read a book an entire day. Like now I think I'll read da da da. And so I think that when I was thinking about like, kind of you know, when I was making the artwork for that book, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to fill this in. I was like, I'm going to like change up the paper and like make it something so that people can color in it. And it's also been cool because I've gotten to see so many people's artwork from that book. And it's so, so pretty. Yeah. And so I want to talk about Heart Talk Journal, Heart Talk Journal, because I'm not a big journaler. Um, And I've tried a few times, like when I was younger and I was just like, oh, I'm so boring. And so then I would just stop (laughs) writing. Um, So I'm wondering, like, what what do you think is the importance of journaling and and, like how that can help someone develop themselves? You know, whether you see it as a journal or not um, Mm -hmm. and whether you use my journal or not, I think especially um, when times are hard um, for you, um, whether that's because of pandemic or because mm-hmm. of all of the other things we're also going through on top of the pandemic, which is something I've been thinking about a lot lately where you're like, I was thinking like earlier, I was like, at some point we're just going to have to be talking about like 
everything else. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> whether it's like, yes, it's like we are still allowed to talk about like the how hard it is to co-parent or mm-hmm. <laughs> how hard it is to be a parent or how, you know, like your our families being closer <laughs> or, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like there's still all the things we're going to have to or like friendship breakups and all these things. Um so I was, I was just thinking about that, but I think that when you're going through a hard time, it's really, really, really valuable to just move all of the stories and ideas and feelings you're having out of your body and put them on a page, whether you think you're a writer or not, whether you want to be a writer or not, whether you're interested in writing or not, it doesn't matter because every thought is constantly trying to bribe another Everyone feels like it gets tangled with the other one. Everyone feels, um, you know, like they were just weighing really heavy on you. And if it's something where you just can't stop thinking about it at night, I think that it's time to take it out of the loop and put it somewhere else. And and really write with that intention of like, "Mm, this is weighing me down. Whatever I'm going through has turned in, has gone from being something I'm analyzing to something that I'm burdened by. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm now confused by, and I actually, the more I think about it, the more I feel worse, um, or the worse I feel. And so I think that, you know, to me, I think that journaling is really helpful for that, but call it journaling. Don't call it journaling, call it venting to yourself. I don't, you know, it's, (laughs) it's really just about getting it out of your body because so much of what gets trapped in our body becomes other things, right? Whether it's tension Mm -hmm. in your shoulders, whether it's, you know, an appendix, bursting with her, whatever it could be. I think a lot of, you know, we all know if you have any type of relationship with, you know, yoga or type of any body work, or even if you've mm-hmm. ever gotten a massage and they're like, whoa, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, we know that all those stories are trapped in us and turn into stressors. And so um, when I made this journal, I kind of wanted to make it with as, you know, much freedom for the person as possible. Because if you are in a journaler, like, you know, I still wanted it to feel like there was space for you. So, you know, there's kind of this mix of like, you know, every um, every week has kind of a blurb that would be similar to something you'd see in Heart Talk. Mm-hmm. And it has a mantra at the top. And so for some people, it's like, even if you just want to work with the mantra for all week, you know, sometimes like there's just a mantra and it's about shame, right? And if that week was about mm-hmm. writing about shame, there might be a mantra the week just to kind of always ground you back to, you know, I, I work with mantras a lot because I find that when I do get hijacked by my random, like annoying thoughts, um, or worse, you know, negative or harmful thoughts, I find that if I do have a mantra to ground myself, I always feel better. Right. So mm-hmm. if I'm sitting here struggling with like shame of like, oh, I can't believe how embarrassing I used to be, or like, yeah. oh, I can't believe I preach these things now, but there's so much I didn't know 10 years ago. And you know, we feel that everyone feels that way. I mean, Malcolm X talked about that, you know, where he'd say, don't judge anyone where they are because there was a time where you didn't know what you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a week like that, there might be a mantra that says, um, uh, if you are grateful for where you are, you have to respect the road that got you there. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that having these ideas to kind of constantly get drawn back to is really, really helpful. And then there'll, there'll be kind of prompts throughout the week. Mm-hmm. If you feel kind of like, what do I do with this blank page? Which I do think a lot of people feel too. Yeah. Um, so before we move to audience questions, I have one last question um, because I just love your writing. I love just the process you've been on with yourself and also with helping us get on our own different journeys. And so I'm curious, 
Um, throughout your writing, what have you a learned about yourself and what have you healed within yourself through your writing? Um, I think that I have learned that there is no there. You know, there is no, when I get here, I'll feel happy because of this. When I have this, you know, I'll have balance here. I think I've really learned that balance is like a total illusion. I think that, you know, as soon as you start balancing this, you just meet a whole new set of circumstances that you then have to balance. Um, And so if balance is always the goal, then you're always chasing the goal and never enjoying the moment. Um, And so now I'm just kind of like, oh no, every day has to look different. You know, your activism looks different one day, your motherhood looks different one day, the writing looks different one day. Um, And I think that knowing that there is no there, there's no like magical place you get to where like the kids are cool and the parents are okay. And the the writing is like, the book is in the works and it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. And so it's not about, you know, it's not, you know, there's certain finish lines that are so great to get to, but, um, as far as the ones of like all of your life making sense and your career and like those bigger ones we think we have in our head, I'm not sure that they exist. Um, and then the, I think that for healing, I think that what I've, you know, what is the question I've most healed? What was it? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I think that I've really, you know, some of the most profound healing I've ever felt was um, really healing all of the, you know, doubt or um, the doubters that live within you. Because sometimes I think they're kind of like a mean gang mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that um, or like whatever your peanut gallery is inside of you um, that tell you, you don't deserve healing. Yeah. And so I think that he, I think that I've been open to such profound healing in my life, not, um, in the sense of, oh my gosh, I healed this thing, but I was like, oh, I healed the thing that told me I didn't deserve healing. And so now I think healing comes in small ways to me all the time and big ways to me all the time. Um, you know, I think that knowing that I'm worthy of any type of, um, healing in general, because, I think a lot of the times we just think that this is what we, the cards we got dealt and this is what we deserve. And, you know, this is like as confident as we'll ever be, which is like, and if it feels a little more confident than, you know, most people, you like, what do you have to complain about or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that knowing that, you know, there's, um, we deserve to like continuously evolve and that the healing um, is available to us, no matter who we are. Um, that's been, been profound. Mm, dang this oh my god this episode people are gonna freaking be taking notes you know <laughs> journaling like there's so many pearls of wisdom this is a great and we have a bunch of amazing audience questions so let me see oh you know what i really like this one um because i feel like um a few years ago this is sort of something that i was really trying to figure out okay so this question is from maya And she writes, how do I embrace being single? Like, how can I practice a nurturing relationship with myself? There's two, there's two folds that one, if it's hard for you, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to do that. Cause I do think that there's moments in time where we don't feel, um, it's hard for us to imagine giving ourselves the time to cultivate, 
um, a good relationship with ourselves because it's like, you know, it, we're just not there yet. Like the self-love isn't there yet. Yeah. So if the self-love is not there yet and you need something that's kind of like faking it till you make it. Um, you can always kind of have that like one kind of like a lower energy thought that's like, you know, the better, um, you know, the happier and better I am single, like the more I'm in the vibe that attracts the thing I want. And like, mm-hmm. I try not to like, I don't think that's the highest possible vibration for self-love yeah. and self-care. But I think if you need that to get there, then you should. And by the way, there's a whole book industry, like that's all about that, right? Which is like working on yourself to attract the one you want. And like, that's fine. So if, if you're not there where you can't, if you're very far from like, I just fucking deserve to like love myself in such an incredible way. Like we just, it takes, it's, we're not all there. I've been not there as well, you know? So I think that if you're not there, like you can kind of start with like, listen, whatever I want to find out there, like I've got to cultivate in here. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I think I wrote about it in hard talk. It's like, you want love, be love. You want light, be light. Like what does your love and light look like within you? Um, because we do attract, um, we do attract what we, what, where we are currently. Um, I think that on the flip side, if you are in the place where you're like, no, I just like got out of that relationship because like, all I want to do is like invest in loving who I am. Um, that I think that, you know, starting by taking an inventory, like just being like, gosh, like, what does my perfect day look like? What is my like, like, what, what feels good? Like, what are the things that feel good in my life? Like, and also it's like, I put this in the first page of the journal, which is like, how are you doing? Like, how are you? Like, how are you feeling about your friends and family? How are you like, you know, you need to put it all on the map. So that then you can decide like where you are going, like, like, oh gosh, like, all right, I'm putting it all out here. So like, I think I need to go this direction to invest here because this is where it doesn't feel like as sturdy and, you know, finding who you are single is so magical. I remember when I went through a breakup a couple of years ago and I was like, gosh, you just feel so depleted by Mm -hmm. this relationship. And my friend of mine said, she was like, you know, Cleo, you just need to find your happiest single self, and then be that in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And that was the best advice I ever got because even when I met my now baby daddy, I really was like the happiest I'd ever been single. And then when I got in the relationship, I was so committed to like that happy single girl that she still gets to like be in my life. Um, Because it's really hard once you are in relationships to like maintain the self-care and the self-love and all of that. And so, you know, I just always think that like, you know, it's such an incredible time when you get to have single, like singlehood is just Mm -hmm. such an incredible time to like find that person, claim that person, hold that person tight because you want to be with her your whole life. Yeah. And I will also say, I know for me, like when I was single before British Bake Off came into my life, I was, Mm -hmm. there was a really long period where I was just sort of like, oh, being single is like the biggest tragedy. And like, I wish I had someone on a Friday night and I could cuddle and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, I just noticed like how much I was talking to my friends about being single and just complaining all the time. And so what I started doing is whenever I would feel myself doing that, I would just, I would catch myself and I would stop myself and I'd be like, what is something else that I could talk about? Or what is something else I could do with my time instead of sort of feeling like single dumb is like this punishment that I'm 
I'm living and sort of and not a gift. Yeah. And and realizing like, oh, I have like this free time now to sort of like if I want to travel, if I want to like, you know, connect better with my friends, if I want to, you know, do some sort of physical activity like yoga, like or read a book. And so I really sort of got to see that, like, it's not a punishment. It's not like because I'm a bad person. And it's really just sort of like that's where you need to be right now. And like you just need to be single and learn some lessons and then you know hopefully you carry those into your next relationship but i think it's i think you know for me and i think for a lot of people especially maybe women i think society make makes like having the relationship that capital r like the big like your grand achievement right so if you don't have that you feel like am i failing am i not doing something right and then just sort of taking a step back and being like there are many different ways your life can look and it does not have to look like the way that we've been told it's supposed to look like. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's like when you're single, especially if you live alone, it's like the most uncompromising you'll ever have to be. Mm -hmm. And so it's also like, enjoy like freaking like starfishing on your bed (laughs) and like watching exactly what you want to watch every time you want to watch it. And like everything you're watching at nighttime isn't a compromise, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or like, and and I'll tell Simon all the time. I'll be like, I actually like need to go like hang with my single self and like watch Gilmore (laughs) girls alone in the movie room. And, um, you know, and he kind of like gets it because, you know, it is, I, I, I do, you know, I, um, you know, love my family so much. And, you know, being single was also one of the best times of my life because I really made it the best time. And I think that another thing a girlfriend said to me once is like, she's like, never affirm like anything negative you don't want living in you. So like if every time you talk about being single, like you're being negative about it, like you're actually affirming, like you're planting a seed deeper and deeper, like you're rooting that like singlehood sucks. Instead it's like, you know, pulling all that up and like only affirming what's positive, which is that like, you know what, like one day you have a kid and like your day is just not your own ever again. Mm -hmm. Um, if you choose to have kids. And so it's like, actually like, I'm going to enjoy these years where it gets to be all about me. And I remember even the, the last time I was single, I was like, my entire like life is revolving around my personal happiness. I was like, cause I just want one year where like, I didn't look at where I just was selfishly like obsessed with myself and not in like a, you know, dark way of like, yeah. Nope, I'm only eating at this restaurant. So if you don't want to eat there, I'm not going, but in a way where I was like, if I want to travel or do like this, I'm going to go to the place I want and I'm going to stay in the place I want. And I learned how to spend money on myself for the first time, because mm. I'd always thought about doing for others all the time. And so if you can really turn your single years into like just nothing, but like investment of like love and time and energy and money and all these things into like your freaking joy, like that, you will never, ever regret that. Oh, Maya, you will never regret it, honey. Okay. (laughs) Never. Um, okay. Oh, this is actually really good. This is sort of related to, um, pandemic stuff we were talking about earlier. So this is from Jenny who writes, I just lost my job and I'm spiraling out about getting a new job in a pandemic. How do I focus? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's really tough. Well, 
first things first, remember that, you know, you always have a breath, right? Mm. So you can always take a deep breath and remember also, I think that getting through something really hard, um, we don't know what that looks like. So it Mm. can look and it can look like it's going to be 10 different things. And again, I think it's about being present and being like, okay, like what, what, what do I need to be in this reality right now? And, and where can I let go? So it's like, don't compare whatever job you're going to have to get to your old job or where you thought you would be in your work life in five years or two years or 10 years. And by the way, like these ideas of these like parallel careers where you didn't have periods where you hated your job. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure you had too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had periods where I hated my <laughs> day job and I was still writing hard talk and called myself a writer everywhere I went and had yeah. only jobs that were not, that were paying my rent and had nothing to do with writing. So I think that, you know, in this it's, take a breath, um, know that, you know, no job has to last forever. If you don't want it to, there's no right or wrong job during a pandemic. There's only the job that, you know, helps, helps you in this moment to just keep you as safe and stable as possible. Um, what makes you safe and stable is also something we can rethink. Right. So it's like, you know, I used to always think I needed this, this, and this, and this, And maybe it's not. And maybe it's like, you know, maybe you get a roommate and or maybe you um, find alternative ways to kind of restructure your life and say that like and and I think that in finding like kind of joy and community in that where it's like I never thought that my life would look like this, but Mm -hmm. it is for this year and I'm not going to I'm going to choose to not make this the worst year of my life. Um, And I think that making that decision and then sticking to it helps us to not like constantly spiral. But I think that just having like a moment where we're like, okay, wait, I'm going to be positive right now. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, not right now. How about it's like, whether I have the spells of feeling positive or negative, I have decided that this is not going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And, and because I'm sticking to that decision every day, I'm going to approach whatever problems or circumstances that come with this, this idea that like, I can do this, like I can move Mm -hmm. through this, I can handle this. And when I need support handling this, I'm not afraid to get it. Yeah. And because I think the last time I lost like a a job was um, during the recession when I was laid off, like this indie film company I was working at got shut down and I couldn't, I could not find like a day job for like nine months And, you know, I was like living in New York. I mean, it was in my 20s. So it was a little bit different where you're sort of like, okay, you can kind of like you don't necessarily kind of process like how dire things are because you're just, you know, bopping around. But I do remember that I had to constantly tell myself that like this wasn't going to last forever because I think it's very easy to sort of spiral into like. I lost my job and I'm never going to get another job again. I'm going to lose my apartment. I'm going to move back home to Cleveland, Ohio, live in my parents' basement. And you take it all the way to like your life is over and done. And so what I what I did to help me focus is that every morning I would wake up and I would just apply to five to seven jobs and got that out the way. So I could at least feel like, okay, even if I don't have like anyone like hitting me up yet, like it feels like I did something towards that goal of eventually getting a job. And then I don't know what your profession is, Jenny, but like I kind of just had to sort of open 
I think beforehand I was like, oh, I'm only going to work in film and TV, like in the admin space. And then when the recession happened, I was sort of like, okay, I think I kind of have to like open up where I'm going to end up like looking for jobs. And that really helped me. And like, sometimes it's not great because you might feel like in the moment, oh, this is taking me off my path by taking this job that isn't directly related to like what I was doing before. But sometimes you just need that job that's going to help you get back on your feet. And then that's like the bridge to get you back to where you want to go. So I would say just be open to that could help. Yeah. And another thing my friend Aminatu wrote a lot about in her book, Big Friendship, is, you know, when she was looking for a job and she couldn't find one, she really like put it out there. She was like, put it out to her entire network that was like, Mm. it doesn't have to be what I've always been doing, but I am looking for a job and like, you know, not holding, you know, shame and, 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 Mm. or allowing for like shame and like where you're at or like what happened with your job in um, blocking like the immediate people in your life to helping you. So like Mm. even writing that mass email, that's like, hi everyone. Like if anybody knows who's looking for, um, you know, basically anything like these are all my skill sets. Here's my resume. Um, you know, like the pandemic's hard. I lost my job. Da da da. And like allowing people to support you in that too. And I do think that yes, you know, send out your resume and and apply to as many jobs as possible and have like a ritual around. I, I really like your ritual around like starting the day with applying for the jobs and just me making sure that it was kind of checked off your list and, or doing your mm-hmm. follow-up in the mornings. And also I think just being like, you know, anytime I ever wanted something or like really felt like I needed something, like I remember thinking like, I would just bring it up all the time because it helped mm-hmm. me to have people like remember, remember that it was important to, um, my community. So I'd be like, yeah, um, I'm just really looking forward to getting a new job, you know, yeah. <laughs> or like, I remember thinking like, I would tell everyone I like was right, like finishing hard talk way before it was done. So that they'd always be like thinking like, Hey, is it done yet? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I think that being, you know, opening it up and, and kind of just keeping it on the forefront energetically is also something that helps. Yeah. Um, okay. So good luck, Jenny. I really hope you find that job soon. Me too. Um, okay. I'll ask you one more question. Um, oh, this person wants to know about your writing process. This will be great. Okay. So this is from Valerie, um, in West Virginia. Um, and she writes, how does your pandemic life meet with productivity? Like, what is your writing process? Do you do retreats, have a daily routine? So much chaos is making me want to hide. I, you know, one of the things I've just been the most committed to is not committing to like any one standard. I just, Mm. you know, I think especially even right before the election, just because it was such an intense energy of like this or that or this or that and all of the things that we had to do to hopefully get Mm -hmm. this certain outcome and 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 then just the circus of it all also. Um, and I think that, you know, it's hard because every day felt different. And so I think that like when the world has a not like that it has a norm because there's always something crazy happening. Um, but I I kind of approached I've approached writing during this time of like, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to do it. I'm, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't allow myself to get completely off the, like into like the zero productivity train, just because I do find that like, you know, having like the kind of dedication to what's important to you show up in some way, whether that's, 
you know, the most, most writing I could do in a day is like an email, <laughs> yeah. send back or, you know, um, or kind of organizing my thoughts on something. And, uh, so what I, my kind of, what I kind of think about is that what, if by the end of the day in the writing space, whether it's like ideas I'm thinking of or actual work of things I want, want to say or put into a poem or put into kind of prose or something like that, um, I do try not to like end my day with any of it, like swirling around in my body, hoping I'll remember it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of my only check place of, you know, did I get enough done today? Um, I definitely have resisted the, at first I was like trying to like, I think like most of us are like, okay, it's pandemic. So we should do like, this is all my new programming for pandemic. It's going to be that like on Mondays, I'm going to do this and I should go live on this day and I should do da, 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 da. And you're like, and then all of a sudden I was like, what? Like, I am none of these things. Like I literally (laughs) am someone who like, I sit alone for most of the day. Like I'm not, you know, like that's not, that is not you know, I don't, I don't actually like have enough in my tank to live that life Mm -hmm. without the pandemic. So, you know, in the sense of like with the one to just be thinking that I should be in like a, like an overdrive. Um, and so I resisted overdrive. I've resisted thinking that like the writing should feel or should flow the way it did does in times that aren't this. Um, and so you know, I think that if you are looking for your writing process, one of the best books I ever read, um, or just kind of making sure you're dedicating yourself to your craft or practice is the war of art. I read it probably Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, but it really like fundamentally changed that. Like you do just need to sit down and like have the pen and paper and whether you Mm -hmm. write nothing. And I have much more playtime writing, um, during pandemic than I have, um, any writing with a deadline. And, um, and for me, I, I wanted to feel joyful and I wanted to feel fun. Um, or I wanted to feel like something where I'm like, you know, kind of organizing thoughts on something else. Um, and it just feels good to get that off of my chest. So I don't have to go to bed with it. Um, but yeah, my, 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 my writing process has been kind of like self-care where it's like, it's just different every day. Like, you know, sometimes you like need to get in the bathtub in the middle of the day and like, who's to say you shouldn't like sometimes it feels better to keep on the pajamas all day. And sometimes you're like, girl, you have to get the fuck out of those pajamas, you know? Um, sometimes it's a walk. Sometimes it's, um, you know, doing like a random dance workout class. Like I think that kind of really, and that's why I said in the beginning, it's like, this is an amazing time to get to know yourself and just check in every day and be like, Ooh, what's going to feel good today. Like, in actually just having the space to do that. Right. So it's like when you sit down and have your morning coffee, like have a little notepad with you where you sit down and are like, okay, today, like, how do I want to feel today? Like, ah, yesterday I felt sluggish. So today I want to feel like I was able to like move the muscles on my body. Like I want to feel active today. Like, okay, today, like yesterday I felt a little like shitty because I didn't get any writing done. So today, like, I want to know that like, I at least sat in a room and didn't have anything else I was supposed to do for an hour, but write. And whether the writing comes or not, I'll at least know that I was devoted. Like, uh, okay. You know, like I didn't get to see my daughter as much. 
Um, so I want to make sure I end the day and do bath time. Like, and, and I think that when you actually like take this pandemic one day at a time Mm -hmm. and take self-care one day at a time and are willing to change it and move it and, and, and allow all the things to serve you, like you get, we get through it and we end up feeling, um, as okay as we could possibly feel. Yeah. I love that. And then I think the one thing for me, for my writing process is that like I'm working on my book and I'm just very much in the beginning of quarantine I was just like well I have all day to write it because I'm like don't have anywhere to be so then I would like procrastinate or waste time and blah 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 and so then like at the end of the day like I would get nothing done and be like but but I had the whole day what did I do and so I um download this app called Pomodoro which has really helped me sort of structure my my writing sessions where it's like you write for 25 minutes, then you take like a five minute break, right? For 25 minutes. And that really sort of helped me because what what ended up happening with me is if I felt like I got quote unquote behind on my writing, then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to sit down now for five hours straight and just only focus on writing. And it's like, your your brain's going to get tired. Your brain is not designed to for hyper focus of five hours. And so I just took the pressure off and just had like a structure of like shorter writing sessions. And then I have gotten so much more done because I'm allowing myself to take a break and not feel guilty about it. And you can structure it in ways that work for you, right? So you Mm -hmm. can be like, I write, I my entire day is shut down and I don't communicate with anyone like the first two hours after I have my coffee. Mm -hmm. Because like the most kind of like pumped I could feel the whole day is like right after that tea or that coffee. And I think that one of the greater hacks for writing is to turn your Wi-Fi off of your computer. Mm-hmm. And so I actually take, I like, and make sure that like your iMessages aren't popping up and all of that. And, and if you can look up the word, you can look it up later and like that you can't get like sucked into like Google search land, which I think happens with a lot of us. So yeah. I definitely always turn the Wi-Fi off. And then sometimes you can just like, I'll have like writing dates with myself where I'll come into my little writing room at night. And instead of like, hanging with Simon right after dinner, I'll like come in, I'll have a glass of wine, I'll write or I'll paint or I'll draw. And I'll just be like, you know, like, I just want to like, you know, just have that reminder that like, it's fun and it feels good. Um, and, and that like, it's a part of who I am, so I can never really lose it. Mm. Um, and so I do think that I, I definitely, um, recommend trying to do like writing dates, like once a week or once every other week. That's cute. I like that. I want to try that too. So I hope that helped you, Valerie. And Cleo, this has been so great and wonderful. And Um, I'm so glad that you could do this. Thank you so much. You're just so fantastic. And I'm I'm truly only trying journaling again because of you, because I really do (laughs) think that third third time's a charm. I'm going to break through and I'm really going to fall in love with journaling. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. I'm so happy I got to be here. Okay, Bake Off. That was great. Wasn't that just like a warm cup of cocoa? It was. It was lovely. I felt very like cozy and like a... Yeah, it was a warm cup of cocoa. That was so cute. Um, Cleo, thank you so much for taking the time. As always, you guys, go ahead and get that journal. We got to start putting our feelings down on paper, getting them out so we can be freer and lighter. Um, I mean, I feel like if all the conversations are going to be like this in December, we are closing out this year well. Yes, for sure. 
So I guess since I have nothing else to say. Wow, first time ever. Credits? Host? Me? Bibi Lynn Robinson. Producers? I think it's still me, Bibi Lynn Robinson. And also you, British Bake Off. Editors? Well, it's just one, it's you, British Bake Off. Oh. Theme song? Gavin Turek. Intern. Sasha and Malia Obama and... Ladies, I don't want to have to do this publicly because this is kind of awkward, but like the semester is starting to come to a close. So I think next year I might have to have different interns. Sorry, guys. Yeah, you put in such great work this fall. You did an average job. So, I mean, we'll bake off and I will talk. We'll see what we can do if we get extended another semester, but... It's not looking good. Yeah. But, you know what? Thank you for going on those coffee runs for us. Thanks for plugging in them cables. Yeah. I mean, thanks for, you know, making sure I wore my zip patch. The night before? Yeah. You guys are so good. Bye. Bye. Bye.